Hello, hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another riveting episode. I am putting that out there that it's going to be riveting. Riveting episode of Money Awakenings. This is your host, DJ Rivet himself, Larry Morrison, the financial shaman. Ah, I am inspired today and I'm excited to see what's going to come through. You know, I got another, uh, I got an email question about debt, which I talked about a few podcasts ago. And it occurred to me to check in with my own belief systems around debt, and I didn't have any, except one that wasn't really about debt specifically, but it was this, that people don't want to hear about debt. They want to hear about money. And I examined it and I said, you know what's funny is I get as many, if not more, questions around debt than I do around investing or money or anything like that. And I really had to take a step back and go, wait a minute. Debt and money are two sides of the same coin. I look at them as siblings, like a brother and a sister. And so why do I believe, why did I believe until today that people don't want to hear about debt? Debt is as important, if not more, to understand because of all the limiting beliefs around it than money. So I'm going to do my level best to talk as much about debt as I do about money in this way. You know, when I was a kid, there was an interesting phenomenon that I watched happen. And it was about my family, my immediate family, not my soul family. Uh, My mom raised me pretty much as a single mother. I say pretty much because my grandparents, her parents, helped out a lot. They raised me too. And what was always super fascinating to me My mom uh, was uh, the firstborn of two, and she had a younger brother, my uncle. And what was always super fascinating to me is how my grandparents treated my uncle versus how they treated my mom. You know, you think the firstborn gets all the love and praise and adulation, and you go, well, no, the baby gets all the love and praise and adulation, and it just depends on the, the family and the person and the whatever, the dynamics. But more than that, I watched my grandparents treat my uncle like he could do no wrong and them treat my mom like she could do no right. And it always bothered me. And then I saw it even more so when I went and lived in India. For those of you who don't know, I lived in India for seven months to study what? Debt, actually. And, and call centers for Americans' services. But uh, to study business and international business. And, but it was, uh, the business was around debt. Anyway, so I saw this when I lived there too. Almost, almost across the board, which is so crazy to say, because that's so rare, but almost across the board, the Indian culture... And I'm not saying this is only India, but the Indian culture is to 
be disgusted almost with daughters and be like, oh, your only job in this life is to serve the men, the men folk. And treat sons like they can literally do no wrong, like they were literally kissed by God and blessed by God themselves. Which is why they have such a problem with rape culture in India. They have such a problem with narcissism because these boys have been taught that they can do no wrong. So their, their behavior is not put in check when they overstep their boundaries. Right? They don't even have boundaries, a lot of them. And so um, they treat women like slaves. And I always, what I always took away from it was multiple things, but the main thing I always took away is what's so fascinating to me is that in one generation that could be fixed by the daughters who grow up to be mothers fix, correcting the behavior in their sons and treating their daughters like equals. But the mothers do the same exact thing that was done to them. And so the cycle repeats itself over and over again through the generations. You'd think that someone who got treated like a slave for being a woman would not treat their children that way. But here we are. I watch it happen a lot. Mothers who have lived through the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and even grandmothers, treat their daughters like second-class citizens. And this isn't about feminism or even equal rights. This is about why would you treat someone the way that you were treated if, it was neg- if you think it was negative? Are you trying to indoctrinate them into this is just how society is so they better get used to being treated like crap? And I'm going to bring around to the point. It does have a point here. The reason I bring this up is because I see the same exact dichotomy, the almost, almost identical relationship that we have with money and debt. We praise money. Money can do no wrong. More money is always better. It's so much better to have tons and tons of money. Money doesn't do anything bad in our, in our society at all. But debt, the sister, the daughter can do no good. We have to get rid of debt. That is evil. It's bad. It's icky. It's gross. Get the fuck out of here. We don't want you here. Think about it in your life. I know I just went off on this and I'm going to like two podcasts ago or one, you know, leapfrog the last one that I went off on. Why do we label debt bad? Right? And that inspired me. I was like, I have so much more to say about debt. I grew up in the debt world, basically. And that's not completely true. My financial background is I started in... Sorry about this wind. Uh, I started, just real quick, I started um, in business, well... I started working at an extremely young age, at 11. Then, right after high school, I went into the electrical trade. Right after I turned out as a journeyman electrician, I started my own business. Did that for about five years. And then the economy crashed in 08. And then, um, yeah, it was about four years. Three, four years. It's kind of blended in my mind. And uh, then I went into real estate. That's where I started my um, financial education. And being in the financial industry... 
was uh, flipping houses and doing real estate, short sales and all that kind of shit. Um, and then went to startups and then uh, in the Silicon Valley, learned a lot about startups and marketing and business and then went into the debt world. So I'm literally like I galvanized all of my skills in the debt world, specifically student loan debt, became one of the leading experts in the country on it. Um, and then also learned about, obviously you have to learn about tons and tons about credit, credit cards, you know, payday loans, all this kind of stuff. Um, just going through the minutia of how debt operates. And so, um, anyway, I say all that to say it is extremely rare for me to come across an individual, even in the financial world, especially in the financial world, it is extremely rare to come across another individual besides myself who sees debt as a good thing, as a powerful tool when understood. So usually very, very uh, big businesses understand it. Uh, there are some economists who understand it, but it's super rare to find it. every personal finance book you will basically ever read, besides my own, um, which is coming probably this time next year. I'm about 80% done with it, plus I have to do the research on everything I'm saying, or quoting, and then publishing takes a long time, from experience. Uh, okay, so... Where was I? Debt. It's very rare to find any financial professionals who see debt as a powerful asset. And it took me a long time to wrap my head around it too, to get it wrong. But I just bring all that up to say, how do you treat debt in your life and where did that come from? Probably from well-meaning adults who are trying to tell you to, you know, trying to protect you from the world. Right? And I've... I've delved into this, but as the more I delve into, just right now even, I'm just so inspired. There's like a million different scenarios and, and rabbit holes we can go down talking about debt specifically. But I think I'm just going to keep it general for now, as general as an hour will give me, and talk about the five main pillars of debt. And what I mean by that is pillars in this instance are kind of like... Maybe, maybe even the, not, I don't want to say mistakes because there are no mistakes or they're not limiting beliefs either. They're almost like the five attributes that, hmm, how do I say this? Maybe, maybe mistakes is a way to put it or limiting perceptions. That's what it is. The five limiting perceptions that cause you to, um, treat debt as a bad thing. And treat debt as an albatross around your neck or on your back or whatever. And when you, when you, we wade through this and let go of these perceptions and shift these perceptions, these five perceptions, you're going to really, hopefully, ideally, look at debt in a different way, in a different light. Okay? So, number one pillar of debt or the number one pillar of debt to use it and turn it and create it into an asset of abundance. Remember always that debt is simply another way to move resources around. And remember my definition of money or money's purpose, not my definition of money, but my definition of money's purpose. Money's purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. 
Money's purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. Think of it like the wind in your sails, helping you get to where you want to go, right? Like if you're inspired to, I don't know why this one, I think it's just because I was talking to my friend who, this is his inspiration, uh, who wants to be a baker. I don't know why that one just keeps coming up. It's just good. I, lo- I love it because it's unique. I mean, there's tons of bakers out there, but it's unique that that's his like heart's like uh, calling. And so um, if your heart's calling as be an artist or a baker or whatever, you know, money's going to help you get there. Right? It's, its highest purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. Well, guess what debt's purpose is? Debt's purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. This is why I say they're siblings in the same family, two sides of the same coin. And why it's so fascinating that we talk down and, and are you know, almost labeling debt as evil... We talk so badly about debt, but we don't talk badly about money. To the, some, some, I mean, some, in some instances we do, but not to the level that we talk badly about debt. So debt's highest purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. And these five pillars ideally are going to shift that perspective for you. Okay, and I'm not that I can help the wind, but there's a little bit of wind, so I'm going to hold the mic a little closer. I apologize for that. Um, Okay, so number pillar number one, as we shift our perspective around debt, don't try to get rid of debt. Yes, and now you can see. uh, Hopefully, we can pick your job off the floor. And go, wait wait a minute, Larry. You're going completely 180 degrees against all financial wisdom? Hello, I'm a shaman. Yes, if conventional financial wisdom worked, then we'd have no personal financial problems. As I said a couple of podcasts ago about how stupid it is to follow tradition when it's obviously not working. Yeah, I'm going 180 degrees away from what conventional wisdom tells us. My number one pillar of debt, don't try to get rid of debt. Let me give you a little backstory. In human society, the dawn, our ancestors, from literally tribal, from all the way to tribesmen, hunter-gatherers, talking even before the Stone Age, Debt came first. A debt instrument was the first way in which we traded resources and goods with one another. Debt came long before money. Long, long, long before money. Talk about the firstborn daughter. And the reason I call debt a daughter is because I feel like it has a feminine energy to it. It has a feminine energy because it completely accepts you as you are today and says, I will give to you unconditionally loving energy and give to you what you want or need today because I love you and you can pay me later. Where on the other flip side of the coin, money demands 
you work your ass off for it before you get it. It demands work, energy, focus, time, and attention. It demands your lifeblood, sweat, and tears, and then you'll get it. Also, men, uh, men, literally, men invented money. And I don't mean humans, I mean men. Money was invented for war, which is completely a man thing. Right? You don't see a lot of women going to war. And I don't mean soldiers and equal rights in today's military. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, we look through history. Very rarely were it queens that were going to war. It did happen. But um, anyway, I don't want to get into that. Right so my point is, though, the older sister, which is death, came way before money. Way before money. We traded with our neighbors, hey, I need, you know, I need a chicken for, to eat, to feed my family. Or I need, I go to my neighbor, I need some corn and some potatoes and some rice to feed my family. And they'd be like, sure, Larry. Um, and then I'd feed my family and maybe, again, I'm the baker. And they come to me and they're like, hey, can we have some bread to pay that debt? Of course you can. That's how society ran. This whole bullshit idea that we've been told that it was all spot trading and you needed the chicken and the loaf of bread or the, the potatoes and the carrot and the rice and the loaf of bread traded at the same time is bullshit. We trusted each other. Everything was built on IOUs. There's this great book I highly recommend if you love what I'm saying about debt and the history of debt called Debt the First 5,000 Years by David Gerber. Fascinating, fascinating book, especially around all the limiting beliefs through the ages we've had about debt and lenders in particular. So, um, because literally from its inception... I actually think, the, the, in my opinion, the waters muddied when money came on the scene. When it was all debt, then there was the, that was the only thing we had. That was the only thing we used, right? I owe you, you owe me, we'll figure it out. In the end, it'll all be good. We're neighbors. So, you know, you surviving helps me survive, right? We do this as a team, as a tribe or whatever. When money came along and was born, the baby brother, that's when the, the waters really got muddied. Because now there was a new way to do things. And people tried to figure out how to settle their debts with money. They would, you know, it was like, it was like a new, there was a new way to have value transfer. And then we had a different way to measure said value. And then, of course, we can get into the whole money debasement later. But point being, it really muddied the waters because debt came first. So knowing that debt came first in human society, just like money, do you think you're ever going to escape it? Do you truly believe that you're ever going to escape debt? How could you? Oh, one day I'm going to pay everything off. When all your debts are paid off, you know what the next level is? Death. Think about it. Most people's mortgages are 30 years, 
right? It takes that long for them to build up their, you know, money with retirement savings or whatever. So when people are liquid, meaning they've paid off all their debts, it's either because they had some kind of huge windfall or they're about to die. Do you get what I'm saying? People who are not about to die take on more debt because why? They have more life in front of them to pay off said debts, if that's what you want to do. So when people are like, I can't wait to be out of debt, I'm like, why? Are you hurried to get to the grave? You don't think you're going to want to keep expanding? But think about this. We're going to talk about this a lot on this podcast. How much energy do you waste trying to get rid of something that will always be in your life? How much energy do you, energy do you try to waste getting rid of debt just to watch it come right back? Because again, it's just another way to move resources around. An unconditionally loving way to bring about what you need. Today before you pay for it. That's the unconditional love part. And you get today's prices. How much energy do you waste trying to get rid of debt? Trying to have some... I always hear these like, what do you think I should do, Larry? Should I mean, this is a higher interest credit card and there's the snowball thing where you pay off one and then you snowball that money into the next and blah, 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 blah. And then there's the cascade and then there's this. I've, I've heard them all, trust me. <laughs> then there's debt settlement, which I was a part of for many years. I still kind of am because I'm not fully out of my business yet, other business. But, um, you know, paying pennies on the dollar, especially for medical and credit card debt that's unsecured, right? Medical, you go $100,000 to, for fucking sprained ankle. Obviously I'm exaggerating, but you can settle that debt for 10 cents on the dollar. If you don't, if you understand how it works and credit, how credit works. But point being, um, where was I? Oh, don't you find it fascinating how much time you and energy you spend trying to get rid of something that is literally bringing the things you need into your life. Not only what you need, but what you want. You don't need a nice house, but debt will help you get one. You don't need a new car, but debt will help you get one. And yet we say to this energy, I don't like you. I don't want you. You're bad. I can't wait to get rid of you. Get the out of here. We are trying to get rid of something that is helping us get to our highest purpose. Like I said, I was, I say was because I fully feel that my apprentice is, has succeeded me. But I was one of the leading experts in the field of student loan debt. And watching the almost infinite numbers of perceptions on this one subject of how we're trading future dollars for today's education to go get those dollars and how many people have different of opinion on why it's good or why it's bad or why it works or why it doesn't. 
is so interesting to dissect. And that's one of the reasons that woke me up to this stuff. Everything I talk about, I was galvanized under the blacksmith's hammer in the debt world. Watching how people treated debt and literally couldn't sleep at night thinking about how much they owed. This is what I would give people relief from. And I still do the same thing here because I'm talking about it, attempting to give you relief if you really understand it. Okay. Don't try to get rid of debt. I'm not trying to say don't pay on your debts. Don't pay what's owed or maybe even pay a little more than what's owed. I'm not saying don't pay. I'm saying don't try to get rid of it. Because you're wasting energy trying to get rid of a different form of money. A different form of something that's going to get you to your highest purpose. Here's what I mean. Let's go back to student loans. You're inspired to become a doctor. Right? That's, it's kind of impossible to become a doctor without college. At least in, this, in the United States. So you're inspired to become a doctor, a Western medical doctor or whatever, phlebotomist, physician, whatever, something that requires college that you can't learn on your own or be certified. Think about how much you would have to save up in order to go to school of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears to get there. So in that way, you're like, yeah, debt is a good thing. It got you to your highest purpose. Your calling was to help other people through medicine, Western medicine. And debt got you there. So why are you trying to get rid of it? Again, not saying don't pay it. And we can talk all about interest too. But why are we trying to get rid of the very thing that brought you to your, the precipice of your purpose here on this planet? Explain that to me. Oh, that's right. It's because of your limiting beliefs that were handed down from well-meaning adults who couldn't stand the shame that they have placed on themselves around debt. There's so much shame around debt. When I first started my company, College Loan Freedom, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it, the name of it anyway. When I first started my company in 2015... And I realized what I had found, like I had found all the secrets through the minefield of student loans to use all the government programs as they were intended and only, as only 10% of the American population who had student loans knew how to use. So I became like kind of similar to a tax professional, like a really, really expert forensic tax guy, except for student loans. And I thought the floodgates would open and people would rush to find me and find my help. Wrong. It took me a lot of years to understand why. I was like, oh, it must be my marketing. Oh, it must be this. Oh, it must be that. No. It had nothing to do with my marketing. Definitely nothing to do with my customer service or any of that stuff. And of course, yeah, I mean, it takes time to get known in doing anything, but... It's the shame of debt. People are so ashamed of their debt, the, pretty much the number one way they deal with it is they become like ostriches with their head in the sand. And they avoid it. 
They avoid thinking about it. They avoid talking about it because as soon as they think or talk about it, all the shame comes up. The story that debt is bad. And since they have it, now they're bad by association. And then I love that belief that says a good person always pays their debts. So basically, if you haven't paid all your debt off, you're a bad person. See where the shame comes from? Every time you focus on debt, you feel shame. How much energy does that suck from you? Trying to get rid of something that not only helped you and is still helping you and is still available to help you, ideally, but you're trying to get rid of an angel in your life, basically. And you've categorized this angel as a demon. The angel goes, but I got you your education just to sign a few pieces of paper. I got you your house for 5% down of the purchase price and you could pay it over time. And you get the today's price locked in. I did that for you. And yet you label me a demon that you want to get rid of and you feel shame every single time you think of me? What the fuck? Talk about the daughter who was treated like a second-class citizen. How much energy do you waste trying to get rid of something that helped you? How much energy do you waste thinking about debt, thinking about that magical day when you're free of debt? This is that other BS. Um, This is that other BS limiting belief. To be free, I need to be debt-free. What are you talking about? That's like saying to be free, I need to be money-free. It's the same energy. It's slightly different because it is slightly different, but it's the same idea. It's It's an instrument to bring you what you want or need. And you are saying that it's bad and you need to get rid of it. And you literally are telling God how you want things to be. And the way in which you're super attached to the way in which you want things to show up. Jesus, I'm only on pillar one. I better better move on. Pillar two. This is kind of a riddle for some and some will get it right away. And if if you don't get it, that's totally okay. Totally okay. You know what I always love about the Tao Te Ching? Every time I read it, I get something new out of it. But more than that, as my consciousness goes up, I understand it fully. Here it is. I bring up the Tao because it's, I'm going to word it similar to phrases from the Tao. Don't use debt for wasteful things. And there's no such thing as a wasteful thing. Well, then why say it like that, Larry? Follow me on this. Don't use debt for wasteful things. Don't waste this energy and this power. 
And don't build up a bunch of debt on something you don't have anything to show for it. And then the second part of that instruction, because that's, that's a rule two, pillar two, what is wasteful? Is paying for an education wasteful? Even if you don't use it? Is education ever wasteful? No. Oh, well, a car. That's wasteful. No, it gets you to where you need to be, just like money or abundance or anything else. Well, a house isn't wasteful. We all know that. So what? I shouldn't use debt to live on, like on my credit cards to pay my bills? No, it's showing up to help you live. What is wasteful? What is wasteful? Wasteful is a judgment. There's a judge in your mind telling you what you should and shouldn't spend money on. There's a judge in your mind telling you what you shouldn't use debt for either. That's why I worded it that way. To find the judge. So that when you look at something you feel inspired by your heart to create. I want to create an art studio. I want to create a conscious living facility where people can come and get healing. I want to create whatever. But I can't use debt. That's a judge telling you that there's a way in which you're supposed to do it and not supposed to do it. That one is bad and one is good. Catch the judge. Catch the critic. Catch the conditional love that is placing a label on debt and saying it's bad. It's literally restricting you from the frequency of abundance. If you have any restrictions, conditions around debt, you will not get into abundance. Abundance welcomes everything as an ally to use to get you where you need to go. The best definition of abundance is the ability to do what you need to do when you need to do it. Tell me what that leaves out. It doesn't say, except not with debt, except not with luck, except not with opportunities, except not with ideas, except not with trade, except not... No. The ability to do what you need to do when you need to do it, period. That's it. So debt is simply another way that abundance may choose to use to help you. So don't use it for wasteful things. And there's no such thing as a wasteful thing. Okay. Number three, which we've kind of already covered a little bit because they kind of blend together, but I'm very important to, even if they blend together in one kind of idea, I want to go through them one at a time. Number three, don't make debt your enemy because of all the things I just said, because you're now limiting your way of abundance. Let's say even though abundance has literally an infinite number of ways to do things, let's say there's only money in debt. 
So they're 50-50. There's only money or debt to do what you need to do on this world, in this world. And you make debt your enemy. You label debt as bad. And now you've just cut off 50%. Half of the ways in which... in which abundance has to work in your life is gone. It's not abundance anymore, is it? Don't make debt your enemy. And this goes back to the shame of debt. What? Remember, when you feel negative emotion around any subject, I want you to stop as if you just accidentally cut yourself and bandage it. Clean it out, clean the wound and bandage it. And the way we do that with negative emotion is we stop what we're doing and we ask, what do I have to believe about this subject in order to feel this feeling? Where do you think I got the limiting beliefs I have around debt? I mean, to come to the surface, not where I first picked them up on in my life trail or whatever. I got them by asking myself this question. I look at debt and I feel shame. What do I have to believe about this subject? That debt is bad. That I'm not a good person because I have debt. Because the more the debt is like a negative. It's like a hole that I find myself in. Now I'm a slave to the people I owe money to. God, we should just do a whole one on that. Well, let me just riff on that for a second. Do a whole podcast on that one alone. I'm a slave to the person I owe money to. What? Pretty sure I'm God. Not only are there tons and tons of bankruptcy rights, except, of course, for student loans, but, like, that's just the mechanical part of it. I'm a slave to the person I owe money to. Is that true? Is that true? How does that feel in your body? What emotions do you experience when you believe that I'm a slave to the person I owe money to? God, talk about giving your power away. Instead of giving your power away to money, you give your power away to debt or a lender. Your God, you're supposed to use, supposed to is kind of fucked up, but you know what I'm saying. You are intended to use everything at your disposal, all of your God-like abilities to create what you came here to create. And now you're saying one of them is so bad that I'm not only not God, I'm a slave. Why? Because you have to make payments for the rest of your life or whatever? Does that hinder your ability to expand and evolve your means? To grow your income? To grow your wealth? Does having a payment every month stop you from doing that? No. In fact, it will help you do that if you shift your perception around it. Here's what I mean. Let's say you want to get a brand new car and it's a $100,000 car at 1000 a month and I don't I'm not using accurate math. It's just a hypothetical. So it's a $100,000 car. It's a thousand a month, right? Let's say it's six, seven years. I know that's not right, but I just follow me. 
10 years, probably. And you're like, I don't want to do that because I don't want the debt or the payment. Now you've just limited your expansion because not only do you not get to enjoy that new thing that you want that makes you feel the vibration of wealth and abundance, but now all the people who made the car, who profit from the car, don't get to enjoy that either. You don't get to enjoy the expansion. You don't get to enjoy the good feeling of getting the car. And you don't see that an extra, like a $1,000 a month payment might actually inspire you to say, how can I expand my means to it afford that? This is how people stay small. They avoid the things that will expand and evolve them. Just like people avoid doing the inner work. Of finding their limiting beliefs and letting them go. Is that true? That you're a slave to the person you owe money to? No. I'm grateful to the people I owe money to. Not only did they lend me money with nothing but an IOU and a promise, and I got the thing that the money or the thing that they lent me, but now I have a way to inspire me to expand to a whole new level so that the payment is way smaller than me and my ideas and my consciousness. I am bigger than any amount of money or debt. I am God. Remember that. Not me, you. Same. You could be like, yeah, Larry's God. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean in you. You are God. You're the creator of your reality. And nothing is bigger than you. But when you believe the small story, you have to stay small, don't you? So something comes along that inspires you and you go, damn it, I don't want that payment. I don't want that debt. I guess I'll stay small. Don't make debt your enemy. Make limitation your enemy. Actually, there is no enemy. It's all source. But if you want, look at your limiting beliefs as the enemy. I I hesitate to say that because I don't want you to make yourself the enemy because... The limiting beliefs are within you and they are serving a purpose so that you can play the story of being a small human. But still, don't make debt your enemy. Make the limiting beliefs around debt that that restrict you from using it to its full purpose your enemy, if there is one. Or your opponent, rather. That's better. Your opponent. Because that softens the need for attack or war or anything like that against yourself. Make the limiting beliefs your opponent in a game called Who Am I Really? Pillar number four. It dovetails, I mean, we already kind of discussed it, but we're going to go further into it. Pillar number four of debt. Don't Avoid debt as a way to help you get to your highest purpose. You're inspired. 
you realize why you came here. You came here to create a holistic baking center. <laughs> and if that is your actual inspiration, I apologize for laughing. But I'm just combining a couple of things that are coming up for me. Um, you're inspired to create a holistic baking center where it's all gluten-free and vegan and it, this, this is magic bread that actually heals. Which, side note, I actually heard of that years ago when the FDA got all freaked out. But anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. Um, okay, where was I? So you have this holistic baking center. That's your dream. That's why you're here. That's what you feel strongly in your bones. That's what you're doing here. And you're creating and you're doing all this stuff. You're learning baking. You're learning business. You're learning marketing. You know, you're like about to open the store and you're like, no one, I don't have the money. I'm just going to wait and save. No, I'm going to put this, I'm going to put this dream off until I can save up the money. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll learn another skill or trade. This is the weirdest thing. But I did it too. I'm not talking down on it. It happens to a lot of people. They're like, well, I'm A, I'm not sure because they have the belief that um, you can't make money doing what you love. So they're not sure if this new holistic baking is going to take off or not, if it's going to make them enough money. So they doubt themselves even though the inspiration was put in them by source, literally telling them that I have your back because you're excited about it. But they do this thing where they're like, I can't afford it. I don't have the money to create it. So maybe I'll pick up overtime at work or maybe I'll get a second job and work myself ragged to save up for this when they could just literally go get a business loan. Or ask someone to loan them the money. But they avoid the debt as a way to help them. And they do the, one of the stupidest things. It's not stupid if you're doing it. I did it too. But they waste their time and energy learning something else. Like I said, getting a second job. To afford the thing that they want to do. It's like, do you understand that if you spend the time and energy on the thing you want to do, you'll become a master at it faster and get to where you want to go or where it's supposed to lead you faster? Like, why do we think that it's smart to get a second job learning and filling our heads with a bunch of stuff we don't want to use, we don't really need, and spending our time and energy perfecting that as a way to make money to get over? It's like we're putting all these hurdles in front of us. And like I said, I did it too. I'm not proud of it, but I did it from a conscious vibration that said, I can't make money doing what I love, which is this. Anyway, which of course I've proven wrong many, many thousands of times. So my point is, don't avoid, pillar number four, don't avoid money as a way to help you. I'm sorry, don't avoid debt as a way to help you. It's the same as saying trying to avoid money, right? No, I want to build it all through barter. I want to build my conscious bakery all through bartering, all through exchanges, and I'm going uh, to do a healing session for this carpenter, and he's going to build this, and then it's like, why are you restricting why are you restricting the flow of abundance? Because you're trying to make the game harder. That's what it is. Wealth is ease. 
It's self-love. It makes things easier. But if you want to make the game harder, just keep doing what you're doing and cutting off all the ways that abundance has to help you. Don't avoid debt as a way to help you. Its purpose is to get you to your highest purpose. Same as money. And last, but certainly not not least, pillar number five. Stop being ungrateful for what the debt brought to you and did for you. It's the first thing that goes out the window when people talk about debt. Oh, I have all this debt for my student loans. Cool. What was the education on? Well, it was on psychology. And now you're a therapist. Yeah, but this debt is just killing me. So you are enjoying the benefit of becoming a therapist or that thing that you wanted thanks to the debt and it's killing you? Oh, I got to get out from under these credit card debts. They're just, they're just, they're keeping me up at night. I don't understand why I can't get rid of them. What did, well, what did the, uh, what did the credit cards pay for? Well, I went through a tough time and, you know, my mom got sick and I had to lean on the credit cards and I mean, uh, you know, I had to buy groceries with it. You know, I had to buy, I had to pay rent with it. So let me get this right. You went through a tough time financially and emotionally and debt stepped up to help you and you're saying that it's a bad thing the first thing that happens when people complain about debt is they are completely ungrateful for what it bought you how could you be you're judging it the unconditional love flow stops you're judging it as bad how are you ever grateful for something you think is bad How are, you, how are you able to see that debt brought you exactly what you needed right on time, that it was an instrument of abundance or source, if you will, because everything is source, getting you where you needed to go, helping you in whatever way you needed, and then you label it as bad, and then you suffer and have sleepless nights about your debts. Instead of going, thank you, God, that I had those credit cards. I don't know what I would have done without them. Thank you so much. Now I have this credit card payment that inspires me to expand. Do you see it? If you literally shift your perspective around debt, you can get wherever you want to go 10 times faster. These credit cards, they saved me. They, they allowed me to, t- to be with my, on my mother's bedside while she was dying. That's, this is hypothetical. My mom died instantly. There was no bedside. She was literally here one day and gone the next. And healthy, which is interesting. But I digress. It's just a hypothetical. So these credit cards helped you be at your mother's dying bedside and be there for the most, one of the most important moments of your life. And they're somehow bad. And you're trying to avoid them, trying to get rid of them, and don't want to use them again. And 
because you're ungrateful, because you've made it your enemy, because you're trying to get rid of it, you don't see that it's trying to expand you. Now you have an extra $1,000 a month credit card payment that you are inspired to get rid of by saying, you know what I could do? I don't need a bakery. I can create my holistic baking right in, right in my home. Sell it at farmer's markets. I could start there. Thank you, credit cards. Thank you for helping me see that. Thank you, debt, for bringing me my house. Thank you, debt, for bringing me my RV. Thank you, debt, for bringing me whatever. If you label anything as bad, not only are you shifting into conditional love, which is the lowest vibration, conditional love is the lowest vibration. It's not shame, because shame is born of conditional love. You're conditionally loving yourself and saying something is wrong with you, that I'm bad. That's how shame comes up. So shame is born of conditional love, and you're going into conditional love saying that debt is bad, and then I need to get rid of it. And then I'm completely ungrateful for what source brought me through debt. But Larry, my student loans never seem to go away. Who cares? We're not trying to get rid of it. You're always going to have debt in your life. Stop wasting your energy. Stop wasting your energy trying to get rid of something that's always going to be around. It's like saying, I need to get rid of my body. Larry, don't you think you're being a little drastic? 80% of the humans on this planet have debt. And will have it until the day they die. So am I being a little drastic? Yeah, because 100% of humans have bodies. But what's something that 80% of humans have? A house. Or a living dwelling. Is that fair? Is that better? 80% of people are trying to get rid of their living dwelling. And saying it's a bad thing. Does that make any sense? What kind of energy would that create? Instead of I want to go home, it's I want to get the hell out of here. Eighty percent of people have debt on the planet and will have it their entire lives. Because you have the extremes, right? The extreme rich or affluent don't have it or have little of it or it's just in their businesses. And the extreme poor don't have it because they're literally living day to day. So 80%, the middle, all the rest of us have it. So why are we trying to get rid of it? Why are we trying to get rid of that thing that's bringing us these, these amazing gifts? Why are we trying to get rid of abundance? Why are you making it an enemy? Because I just can't stand when I see the balance of how much I owe. What? What emotions come up? I feel like a failure. I feel like shame. I feel uh, sad and depressed and angry and frustrated. What do you have to believe about this situation in order to feel these feelings? Let me guess. Debt is bad. A good person always pays their debt. So if I have it, I'm bad. To be debt, to be free, I need to be debt free. 
and I'm a slave to the person I owe money to. And whatever else is going on in your subconscious mind that makes you believe debt is a bad thing. Because I thought you were God. You think you're the small story that is trying to escape a part of its own power. I need to get away from my house. I need to get rid of it. It's an enemy. That's what I hear when I hear people say I want to get rid of debt. But I want to get out of debt, Larry. I refinance money out of my house to pay off my student loans and my credit cards. Okay, so let me, let me get this right. You made an action born of fear and shame and think it's better than vibrating into abundance? Which, by the way, all you did was take money out of equity, out of one asset, pay off credit cards and student loans, which is an unsecured debt. Never, ever, never pay off unsecured debt with secured debt secured debt means there's an asset underneath it that now if you don't pay that debt they can come get the asset what happens when you don't pay your student loans is they just garnish your tax return and pay subs so you eventually pay it off anyway sort of that's not necessarily true it just depends on the person but like what are they going to do they can't get blood from a stone i'm not saying don't pay your student loans by the way there's tons of other options there's tons of other options. Call, reach out to collegeloanfreedom.com for that, for all those options. That's the first time I've ever plugged my company. It's very interesting. Uh, or if you paid off, you know, you're like, oh, I, I rolled my credit card debt into my home equity. I'm like, wow, why? Because you couldn't stand the shame feelings. Because you felt judged by yourself. Who else is going to judge you? That matters. You felt judged by yourself as a bad person for having the debt. Oh, I feel so much better now that my credit cards are paid off. But all you did was move the debt into a different bucket. Now it's in the home, now it's in the home loan. Oops, the roof needs a, has a leak. Dang it, I'm going to have to pull out those credit cards again. Oh man, the debt is back. Yeah, of course it is because you're not learning the lesson. You're ashamed of something that's trying to help you. That's the lesson. You're trying to get rid of something that brings you to your highest purpose. How smart is that? It's getting really windy, so I'm going to sign off. I hope something I said have helped shift your perspective. Everything is happening for you, including debt. Everything is there to expand you to your highest purpose, including debt. And your ego. And your judgments. Everything is there for you. Everything is unconditional love. I appreciate you listening and giving me your time and attention. My unconditional love to you. We are different clouds in the same sky different mountains on the same horizon. Be well. Love yourselves. Good journey, my friends.